There are many ways people listen to Vision, including DAB Plus Digital Radio. If you're in Greater Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane and have a digital radio receiver in your car or home, you'll find Vision Christian Radio on the station list. If you're visiting one of these cities and hiring a car, there's a good chance it will have a DAB receiver and you'll be able to enjoy vision with exceptional sound quality while you drive around. If you don't already own a DAB receiver, you'll find many models, including clock radios at electronic retailers for under $100. To find out more about vision on digital radio and whether you're within the broadcast footprint, see vision.org.au slash DAB. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Going to be turning our attention to Australian politics over this next hour and applying a blowtorch, I guess, to all politicians, but a special focus today on the conservative side of politics. Our special guest today is one of Australia's leading political and cultural commentators. He says there's a specific reason why conservatives in Australian politics are losing their way. He puts it down to conservatives losing their religion. Nick Cater says the alternative to a Christian foundation is not nothing, it's a radical, godless faith. Nick Cater is Executive Director of the Menzies Research Centre, columnist for The Australian and host of the TV show Battlegrounds on ADH-TV. Nick Cater, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Nick, the context for a conversation that we'll have today, not just conservatives, uh, but it's all representatives who are in our parliaments, whether it's our federal parliament, whether it's our state parliaments, there is something of a crisis of understanding faith foundations. You've been thinking through these issues fairly deeply. Yeah, and, and not just in this country, actually, Neil. I mean, you, you can see a similar thing happening in the United States amongst conservatives, and, and the same is true in Britain, and I suspect most other Western countries. Uh, there is really um, an ignorance and a lack of understanding about the philosophical underpinnings that form their political creed. And in the case of conservatism... Uh, although it's not much talked about in this country, it is clearly linked to um, the gospel, to biblical principles, in my view. In America, of course, they're more explicit, or they have been in the past. I mean, people like, uh, leaders like Ronald Reagan, for instance, you know, would would, uh, speak quite openly about faith and and about, uh, you know, the the message uh, that comes from the gospel about how we should live a good life and about how society should organize themselves. We've been less explicit in this country, but I think it means it's not there because certainly if you go back to Robert Menzies, who's the founder of the Liberal Party, as you know, and to my mind, the greatest um, prime minister we've ever had in this country, a great leader, somebody who founded the Liberal Party on clear principles. Those principles were clearly connected, clearly related to biblical principles. He was ex- He expressly spoke about it in those terms. And whether we'd like to, you know, I, I think it's fair enough that 
often these things are implicit rather than explicit in Australian politics. But I think when we look at why many people, not just Christian people, but many people on the conservative side decry the lack of values in politics these days, this is what it goes back to. There is a lack of values because we we no longer focus on those founding principles. You know, we might focus on a Robert Menzies and say here was a man of faith basing his life and his politics on biblical values. And then you might point to a Julia Gillard and say here is an atheist prime minister. Uh, Isn't she just basing her life around those biblical values? A lot of people somehow think that what values you bring to the political table don't affect the sorts of decisions you make and don't affect the, the prosperity of a nation and don't affect the moral and ethical outcomes that a nation has. But these religious values, Nick, uh, what are your thoughts about what sort of difference it really well, does make? It, it makes a lot of difference, but I think we've got to be clear, Neil, in this conversation that there is a clear difference in my mind between you know somebody who shares and generally adopts Christian values in their in their public life and somebody who's a, a believer, you know, somebody who would actually be, uh, you know, a regular member of a church or however else they demonstrate their faith. So, uh, th- so Gilead, Julia Gillard, as you say, she was the first prime minister in Australia to, to be bold enough to call herself an atheist. And, and that, that's her business as far as I'm concerned. You know, this is a country where you're free to adopt any religion or none, but, I, I, I think from you, you look at her, you look at the way she governed, and certainly I knew her a little bit as a person. There's no doubt in my mind that, that whatever Christian values or understanding came to her in her life, I mean, her, she came from a Methodist family in Wales, stayed with her. So whether or not she calls it, you know, whether she attributes those values to the gospel or not, Julia Gillard, as most politicians, thinking politicians would do, you know, ascribe to the theory that, for, for instance, that that uh, we must love our neighbour, we must treat our neighbour as ourselves, that every human being is of equal moral worth, and those principles, as far as I understand them, g- go back to the Bible, to Christianity, and and the the Jude, 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 Judaism before that. That that's where they stem from. That's the philosophical tradition that we inherited in this country and that most people until recently had a reasonable understanding of even if they didn't um you know necessarily profess face faith so that's what i think that's why i think it's sometimes sometimes people don't even realize this about i'm sure they don't because they don't consider themselves to be people of faith but what what Chris, what our christian heritage has done in this country a heritage that we inherited from the united kingdom uh is, is to give us that underpinning of civic life, all the things basically that we think of as, as being a good a good citizen in this country, or we used to, come from those principles and are firmly anchored in them. And I think previous generations would have seen them much firmly, as much more clearly as Christian principles. Today, we just see them as you know, a decent, good and polite way to behave. So we're shaped by those Christian values. And as you say, right back to the arrival of the First Fleet, which is controversial in itself, but it also brought the arrival of Christianity on our shores and it also imported those British foundations. And so our first schools, Christian. Mm. The fact that we have courts, Christian. Mm. Our parliamentary system, Christian. 
So uh, there is a sense here in which some might be thinking, well, why don't we push the boundaries? Uh, We've got a great nation. Uh, Why don't we just go a little bit atheistic and uh, do away with some of those values? Uh, Is that uh, that, uh, like a laboratory experiment uh, and putting at risk all of the good things that are already established? It's frightening. I mean, a God-fearing society is is a is a is a good society. It's a society where people look beyond themselves and beyond their own thoughts to something bigger, something more important. Uh, and that you know, find that in different ways. I mean, there are different religions around the world, and 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 uh, but but that same principle applies, I think, to every. Uh, deistic faith I've ever come across that it's about realizing there's something bigger than yourself. So once you do away with that, it's a bit problematic. Um, and and uh, I, but I think the, the the error that people make here, Neil, is to say they may state they got a bad idea of what a secular state is. Yes, we are a secular state, but that doesn't mean we have no we don't have the underpinnings of faith there. It simply means that you have the freedom in this country to, as I said before, have adopt any faith or none and and that's that's a decision that was made here uh in the 1820s when you know people started to think well should we be you know officially an anglican country like like britain i mean should should the church of england or the anglican church here be our official state religion and it was decided that no it shouldn't be because we needed to you know we had even by that stage we had i suppose what you think about it you know, the beginnings of a multicultural society, if you like, in that we had a large number of Catholics, uh, particularly from Ireland, come here, a large Catholic population. So it was decided that we would be a secular state. But it doesn't mean to say that, you know, faith has no part or or sort of sensitivity of spiritual things have no part in public life. But of course, as you would know, and I'm sure your listeners would be familiar with this, that's where we're being pushed these days, days that we're not allowed, we're not supposed to talk about the things that you and I are talking about now on in this interview, we should not are not part of public life in some people's views, and we should keep those things to ourselves and just do it in the privacy of our own homes. I don't, I don't agree with that. Nick, you're a commentator, and uh, you've got some good insights into these things that are shaping our nation. And I wonder whether you've got some thoughts here on leaders being afraid to talk about faith because secularism in its rise, somehow uh, being used as a weapon against uh, people talking about faith. Uh, I know that in Mm. a recent article you were talking about uh, Christianity being aligned with the superstitions. Uh, That's one of those things that's evolved over hundreds of years. But but politicians have been afraid to talk about faith and therefore uh, the people who are their constituents uh, may be thinking it's less important. Well, I think that's right. People definitely do. Uh, I know pl- people in the political world that do. I mean, I, I say that about myself, for instance. Neil, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a politician, but I'm a, a commentator. And, and uh, you know, faith is not something that I would draw naturally into a conversation about politics, although I guess more and more I'm less afraid to do so where it's applicable. But, um, the, I mean... Uh, yeah, it, it all depends, you know, but I know definitely politicians are wary of it and probably for good reason, because, you know, if, if you don't want to sort of put offside people who don't go along with your faith, um, if, if there's, you know, other other ways of talking about morality and, and, and so forth. Uh, and it remains the true that I think if you're a politician, for instance, and you 
you know, you have a strong belief in, say, um, you know, that euthanasia is wrong, for instance. It's not good enough just to stand up in Parliament and say euthanasia is wrong because it goes against God's work. You, you, you have to connect with people on a deeper level. And, and you know, there are, there are lots of very good reasons to argue against euthanasia, for instance, without having to resort to, um, you know, divine instruction. So, you know, I think, I think that it's, it's, every politician should look to do that. But I don't think they should be as afraid as sometimes they are in talking about faith. Even Scott Morrison, for instance, you know, he was a, a man of faith. You know, he was a... Um, a Pentecostal, it's quite a vibrant and, and um, expressive faith, and he did talk about his faith. But there were times when he, you know, he didn't thought it better not to. Uh, and you know, that's it's everybody makes their own decisions, not for anybody else to judge them, of course. And uh, but it's a hard job. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. Twenty twenty on Vision. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Our special guest is Nick Cater. Nick is a well-known commentator. He's executive director of the Menzies Research Centre, columnist for The Australian and host of the TV show Battlegrounds on ADHTV. We're talking about politicians losing their religion and really with a focus on the conservative side of politics. And we'll talk about conservatism some more in just a few moments, but the conservative conservative side of politics has of more recent times, Nick, been the holders of some levels of that Christian faith foundation that Australians been built on. Uh, progressives mm. tend to have moved away from that, but, uh, but conservatives, mm. that's why a discussion today, because even the conservatives seem to be moving away from that religious foundation. Yeah, I, we might want to talk about this later, but I don't think progressive, progressives have moved away from a religious foundation. They've just found themselves a new one, uh, you know, a, a newly invented religion, as far as I can see. But that's another discussion. But, yeah, I mean, I think conservatism, uh, and there's been a lot of scholarship in the United States on this. If you want to examine the elements of conservative, it really comes down to three things. One is, uh, uh, you know, a firm faith, i.e. some values, from which the, from which you you start, and uh, in the in the in the case of the United States as here, you know those are firmly rooted in in the Christian faith in the in the Gospels, um, even if we don't often acknowledge or recognise it. The second thing is prosperity. You know we believe that people should be given every opportunity to become prosperous and to live, um, you know, improve their lives. That's a good thing. And the third is nationalism. So we defend our borders. We defend. Uh, our security against external threat and we're proud of our country now those three elements have been you know if you look at ronald reagan and margaret thatcher they 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 show all three elements in their thinking but i and probably john howard too i put in that category but in more recent times i think conservatism has just focused on the prosperity and the nationalism and has lost sight that there are fundamental values which should steer the way we we think and and you know for a politician how they behave in office and i think that's why people are now saying you know people everywhere you go people are saying well why why don't why there seem to be such a lack of value such a lack of conviction now in politicians on the on the right and and i think that's it so we have to rediscover that element what are the fundamental principles uh, for where we begin 
We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Jason in Melbourne. Uh, welcome along, Jason. What are your thoughts? Hello. My thoughts are we need a revival in this nation. Our leaders need a revival in all sorts of politics. Listen, right, alike. Because we need Jesus in this nation big time. Jason, good thought. Um, Nick, the thought of Christian revival, we've had lots of smaller revivals. The closest we really ever came to national revival in Australia would have been 1959, Billy Graham's Mm. arrival on our shores in Australia. Uh, Some people are saying the only answer for a return to the sort of values that actually create all of those things that you're talking about, uh, the prosperity and the certain sense of nationalism around, uh, you know, proud to... Uh, have our sense of national identity and those borders, a firm faith that creates values. Mm. Uh, what are mm. your thoughts for Jason around the thought of revival? Oh, I agree with Jason that a revival would be a very good thing. Uh, and and we, you know, this country has been enriched so much by you know that revival of 1959 and the following years, largely you know spurred by the ministry of Billy Graham. You think about the number of people in public life now who either directly or indirectly have been touched by the, you know, the revival of faith that came at that period, uh, you know, uh, and and that's been a tremendous good. I'm I'm convinced that that has been, you know, it's produced just a great reservoir of of good people or people at least focused on faith and focused on living a uh, living, you know, living their life as the gospel is intended, even if we don't always get get it right. That's been very good for the country, and it would be fantastic that you know if if God in His wisdom saw fit to visit another one upon us. But of course, you know, uh, what what do we do without a revival? And that's where I think there are many many uh, people of good faith in this country uh, who should be very get more involved in politics and public life because you know that's where you can um, you can live out the gospel. And you can uh, you can live it out to great effect. Jason, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. And Nick, I wonder whether we might touch on some of the big challenges that we're up against at this time. I mean, there is a rough and tumble in the realities, as you say. Short of the revival, you're actually in the battle for the values of a nation. And uh, why not Christian values if you've got a battle of values going on? So you've got a fall in the number of Australians who are identifying as Christian. Uh, You've got a cultural revolution, a sexual revolution that's going on. Uh, There are moves to remove any semblance of Christianity from the public square. These sorts of things are upon us. And somehow or other, uh, the lack of or move away from a religious foundation is actually fueling those things getting worse. Your thoughts around mm. where things are at? Well, I think, I think Neil, as I said earlier, it's not that we're, uh, you know, as a, as a society, it's not that we're moving away from religion. We're just moving to another religion. I mean, not probably you, not you and I, but, um, you know, the, the, it's often said, isn't it, people talk about this thing we call woke or some of the sort of conviction that people have around climate change and, you know, point out that it's very similar to a religious seal, a religious faith. And I think, uh, and I come from a background as a sociologist, so I kind of think of this primarily from a sociologist's point of view and, 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 we, and, and realise that, you know, every society, every group of people 
have a shared set of assumptions and principles that bind them together. Uh, that's the same. You know, you can see that in in Aboriginal culture, for instance, and that's well documented by uh, sociologist Durkheim. That you know, it, if in order, and it's just you know, just in, on a common sense level, in order to get on with those around you, you have to have some same principles. You have, you have to think, well, we believe this is a good way to behave. This is a bad way to behave. These things are sacred. These things are profane. And that's the way a sociologist would see it. And, and uh, you know, largely, uh, almost unchallenged in this country, and certainly until the 60s, Christianity formed the basis of that shared understanding. You know, whether it was expressly Christian or whether it was just living out those, those you know, those firm God-given principles about equal worth, everybody's equal before God, and so being worked out through civic process. That's been challenged now, and now we've got this new uh, way of looking at things. Where um, and 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 they, they they say they don't. It's not religious, but it clearly is. Uh, you know, you take for instance the way cancel culture, for instance, that that's got all the hallmarks of some of the more intolerant um, religious faiths throughout the era. Right? I mean, um, I don't mean to offend any of your listeners because no doubt you've got a, a fairly broad listenership, but. You know the the way, for instance, the exclusive brethren uh, had a, a custom of, of casting out those who walk in a disorderly way. You know they wouldn't tolerate anybody who who deviated from from their uh, particular understanding of the gospel, and they would be removed from the. That that to me is exactly the same instinct as what we now see in um, in uh, you know cancel culture. You don't think like we do. You don't agree with us. You don't abide by the faith. Therefore, we're going to have nothing to do with it, and you need to be silenced. So I do think there's a religion afoot, uh, and it's a very crude religion. It has its own values and principles uh, that they're not godly values. Uh, you know, they would say, for instance, that uh, you know you have to be anti-racist, or you or you have to you know bend the knee or whatever they do. Those it's a sort of religious impulse, but it's not based on. I don't think you know it doesn't provide us a clear guide as to as to how we should live our lives, and certainly not doesn't form the basis for a a, a, a strong and healthy civil society. An interesting way of aligning wokeism with a cult, and uh, no doubt listeners to a program like this, and we talk about religious issues every day, uh, even uh, the discussion of cult groups and saying wokeism is a little bit like that, uh, intolerant of anyone who doesn't support their ideals and uh, you're out or you're cancelled. So in religious terms, that's what's happening with this rise in secular wokeism. Yeah, exactly. It's very, very similar um, behaviour. And, you know, Durkheim, the sociologist, would say that's the way uh, you know, a group reinforces its identity by saying, well, these are the boundaries, right? If you, if you go beyond those boundaries, if you believe these things, uh, if you don't believe these core points, then you're not part of us. And I think that's what we're seeing. It's, you know, it's, it, uh, you know, it, it's, it's either a sociological way of looking at it, because the other way of looking at it is to say, well, uh, it, the gospel is actually true. And you do that by faith, obviously. And, and some of us, you know, come to that position. But, if you're just looking at it as a sociological to try and understand how a, how a shared faith can bind a society together, bind people together, then that's how you do it. But, I mean, we know this, don't we, from 
from the Bible. In mean, the Old Testament, Moses and the Jews, they were bound together by the same customs and the same faith. I think all we're seeing now is a sort of very shallow, modern, godless form of that that's, uh, that's taken hold across the Western world, which, which I think we can loosely call wokeism. Nick, let me ask you about something you've been writing about just recently, and we won't have seen the last of it. This will rear its head again. The attempt to uh, rid the Senate of uh, starting with the Lord's Prayer. Now, the House of Representatives starts with that prayer too, but the recent uh, uh, move by the Senate President, Senator Sue Lyons, to abolish the Lord's Prayer, and using her basis as, she's an atheist, so why should we have this Lord's Prayer? You were writing about that. That's just a symptomatic thing, isn't it, of some of the changes that are uh, are attacking the the faith elements of politicians on both sides. Yeah, and I, I was very disappointed that, that Sue Lyons took that line because, um, she, you know, she, she's got to understand that, the, you know, the traditions and uh, that underpin, uh, you know, the Senate have been going back since 1901 and, and you can't just change them just because they don't suit you as president. I was quite encouraged, though, in, in, by the reaction to that in the, that... Um, you know, pretty Anthony Albanese pretty was pretty quick to knock her on, knock this on the head, and say they wouldn't be doing it. And I think that they, that's because they recognise that out there in the general community, while people may not necessarily, you know, call themselves Christians or or express allegiance to a, a particular church in the census, and of course that's what they're doing in the census. You're not you're not asking people whether they believe in in God or not, you're asking whether they are affiliated to a particular religion. Despite that, people realise that these traditions are good and actually the words of the Lord's Prayer are probably beneficial to politicians every morning. I think it's a good thing to, to you know, to get them, to remind them of their trespasses and those who trespass against them. And um, it, interestingly, the King James Version, when I, I looked this up, it, it said, forgive us our debts. And I thought, well, that's probably not a bad thing for politicians to be asking right now. <laughs> and the forgive us our trespasses means that we might get some things wrong, but we want a way to have a repentance, uh, to be able to turn around mm. and do things right. So there's a, an acknowledgement of right and wrong. That might be one of the reasons why there's a, a move against it. Uh, interesting, though, mm. as you say, uh, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, was quick to uh, to snuff that change out. Uh, and yet... Mm. Uh, and, of course, he has his own Catholic foundations in his background, but he is, as you pointed out in a recent article, uh, only the second prime minister not to be sworn in as prime minister on the Bible. So uh, is, there, mm, is that right. political too, do you think, uh, for his side? It was a deliberate move by him, wasn't it? Uh, but, you know, as I said, you know, in relation to Julia Gillard, I've no doubt that um, his background, his his, his his upbringing has given him uh, a certain understanding of, of Christian values and principles. I mean, I'm sure, for instance, if you asked Anthony Albanese, he's, he's a man of, well, I suppose, my generation, and you asked him, uh, you know, what's the parable of the Good Samaritan, for instance, he would know, right? I think what worries me and why possibly, you know, we should be fearful for the future is that you've now got a whole generation, perhaps two generations of people that have been through school. And if you ask them about the Good Samaritan, they wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. And that is is dangerous and uh, and frightening for me uh, because 
you know, it's a big part of our, our tradition. It's part of our literary canon for, for many things. But I think once people start, generations start losing that direct link to the gospel, even if they don't believe it, um, then, you know, where are the fa- where, where are the things that bind us together, the common understanding? You know, the understanding in the case of the Good Samaritan that it's a good thing to stop and help people in distress, that we should we should have... We should have care and compassion for those that are suffering adversity. Uh, Powerful questions in the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Who is my neighbour? And uh, the Mm -hmm. ones we might ordinarily not expect uh, to have as our neighbours, those are the ones that Jesus was pointing out. These are our neighbours. So many values, as you say, in uh, the stories that Jesus told, the parables, but also the Old Testament Uh, stories, uh, the stories of the formation of a nation and oftentimes all around failure. These sorts of things are powerful. And yes, some can acknowledge those things and have an intellectual approach to those. But uh, when it comes down to do you believe that they are true? Do you believe that there is a God? Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you don't believe mm. that, then you're looking for all sorts of other value systems to be to replace the ones that you think are outdated. Is that something mm. of the sentiment you could see in there, Nick? Well, I think that that's exactly right, Neil. And if you don't acknowledge God as creator, you don't acknowledge God as... as um, as the Almighty, then you know what fills that place. You know nothing really. You make, you make well something does fill it, but it's a very godless place, and it's 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 where anything goes, and and that's surely what we're seeing now. You know if you can't accept that, then all everything else starts to fall away, and we get to the position where we are now, um, where we don't even believe the idea of Adam and Eve in the sense we don't we're not sure what's the difference between Adam and Eve. You know? So that's basically where we're at, right? We don't we can't you've got people in public office who who can't tell you what a woman is in in under twenty lines, you know, and that's that's we know where that leads. It's just uh, it's the threshold question for me. That that's the wake up call for me, if if anything, is that we can't agree on something as very basic as that anymore. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. You might have a question, a comment. You might have a critique for our conversation. That's fine too. Let's take a call. Michael is in Maruya in New South Wales. Hi, Michael. Welcome. Good day, Neil. And, uh, Nick. Sorry, I forgot. Nick. Yes. Hey, Nick. Uh, yeah, what you We hear of uh, some countries being called Christian countries. I'd just like to know what the definition is, whether it means that uh, most of the population are Christians, it's uh, run by a Christian government, or does it mean Christian government, everyone in the government has to be Christian, or what what actually is the definition of a Christian country? Nick, your thoughts for Michael? Yeah, I suppose that's up, up, up for grabs. But I'd I'd describe or my, my discussion of Christian country would be a country like Australia, like New Zealand, like England, like Scotland, like the United States. Um, countries where the civil code, right. i.e., the things we do, you know, in public life, the law, uh, our political system, everything that follows from it, stem from Christian principles. Uh, and I've mentioned before in this interview, but for me, they're the great abiding most important principle that we get from the gospel in our society that makes our society a, a better society than most is the principle of everybody is equal before God 
So you know, the way we play that plays out in Australia is through we have respect for every person, right? So we say, you know, we, we sit in the front of the taxi, we say thank you to the bus driver. It doesn't matter how humble a person's job is, we acknowledge them. Uh, and we don't we we try not to judge people. I think, and that that strangely, I think is is a basis for a very successful society because everybody then, you know, has the same opportunities and can can make something of their life. It's very different from a, a society where you know stratified society where some people are, you know, are better than others, or we could have you know the notion that we could have slavery, for instance. I mean, that's just an anathema to us in our in our society and through our understanding of the gospel. So those are the good things that come from it. And I, I, I mean, you could say that a Christian society is one where Christianity is, is enforced to see a state religion uh, as it is in Britain, incidentally. Uh, But, but I don't, I don't think that that's, that's nearly as powerful as the fact that faith underpins our public life and our public principles. Michael, uh, Mm. how is that as an answer? Yeah, yeah, that's all right. And, um, I just was going to say, though, in the latest census, according to that, uh, it's, there's, there's less Christians here now than there used to be. Yes, mm. and uh, you've been writing about the census results too, Nick, uh, the fact that uh, now it's just 44% who are identifying as Christian. And in some sense, uh, some are saying, well, doesn't that make Christianity a minority because there's less than half the population who are identifying as Christian? And uh, others are saying, well, actually, there's some upside because it really right-sizes uh, more the uh, the committed uh, Christian believer and uh, puts them in a context that says, well, 44% uh, do maintain that Christian faith. Uh, thoughts here? Yeah, well, I think I, I, I guess we've got to we've got to think what they're actually saying, and that is they're saying I'm affiliated to a, a particular religion and um, or a particular faith. And uh, do we equate that with believers or Christians? Probably not. I mean, we'll never. We, it's not for us to say. We'll never. We we don't have the power to judge how many people in Australian in Australia are truly are truly Christian. You know, who who, who that that's for God to decide. But. I wonder if it was ever a majority, to be honest. I mean, people may, you know, in the 60s, for instance, when, you know, in that same census question, you get 97, 98% say they were, they were had attached to a religion and almost all of them were Christian. I'm not sure that every one of those would have been, you know, had, had the, had the, the, you know, the, 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 the gift that comes from faith, you know, to make that extra, you know, it's one thing to say, well, we understand the rules and we've read the Bible and we've been taught the Bible, but to make the leap of faith, of course, as you know, is is a very challenging and hard thing to do. And, and not everybody, uh, sadly, is able to make that step. Michael in Maruya, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Interesting, as we talk about what would make a Christian nation, there is a sense, isn't there, that acknowledging God... Uh, the transcendent God. If we're going to have a rule of law, we need a certain transcendent level to be able to give that rule of law some substance and something for people to fight for. The alternative, of course, is just a tribalism that argues one way against another and usually will end in bloodshed. Uh, an eye for an mm. eye, a tooth for a tooth, uh, those sorts of things that actually biblical foundations for understanding how lawlessness works there too. Uh, thoughts here on the idea of a rule of law 
the need for a transcendent God. And I imagine that that's one of those things that would make a Christian nation. That's something that we have actually experienced here in Australia. Yeah, look, I believe we still have it, Neil. I mean, I really do. I think that by and large, our political system, our legal system still works to that principle, uh, even if a lot of people wouldn't even recognise it or have any sensitivity as to why that matters. Um, you know, you've still got people, incredibly people come out of university, supposedly well-educated, who just don't understand that science is not the only way of looking at the world, that, that there are, we, we, we want to fully understand the human experience. We have to look to something else as well as science. Science is very useful, right? It's achieved... I mean, I'm sitting here in front of all sorts of technology. I've got an iPad and nice iPhone and brilliant. I mean, that's what science gets you. It doesn't answer some of the deeper questions of life. Uh, for that, I think, you know, some of us are fortunate enough, I think, to be able to understand that, that there's another component, and that is faith, which gives you a deep understanding of the human condition far beyond what science can tell you. Unfortunately, we get people coming out of university who don't recognise that. They think that they're smart and therefore they've got to do away with any anything that's not nailed down in scientific documents. You know, uh, that, that's and and that's that's where that's that's the danger, of course, that we get more, too many of those people. And interestingly, when you talk about those people who who say they have no faith, which is what about forty percent or getting on for that now. Uh, there's a, they're, they're highly skewed towards the university, university educated people and the younger people. So that, that's, that's where they come from. And also Greens voters, there's a very close correlation between people who say they have no uh, faith and uh, those who are members of the Green Party. So they, have a, they, are having, they do in fact have a faith. <laughs> it's called wokeism. Yeah. Um, maybe they should put that in the next census. What do you think? You know, just to see, shake so, people out the tree. Well, that's right. Uh, if you want to put uh, none in there as one of the options on the census form, maybe woke as uh, people to identify with woke religion, that might be an interesting thing. Hey, there is a good story to tell, Nick. Uh, the fact that we have 40% of all schools in Australia are Christian schools. Not everyone who sends mm. their children to a Christian school actually is that sort of believer who goes to church on a Sunday, but they recognize that there are a set of values that are being espoused in a Christian school environment that are not happening in the state school environment. There's good stories like that to tell, uh, which mean that faith in Australia is not dead and gone, and something that on the conservative side of politics you can't ignore, that this is a large part of Australian society. Yeah, that's right. I mean, some of our supposedly faith-based schools, of course, are better than others. But but I think this is a fantastic thing for Australia that we we have this tradition that's that's so now entrenched as part of our education system. Because it's not true in New Zealand, for instance, not, not anywhere like the same extent, um, or in Britain for that matter. So I I think that is that is a fantastic thing because I just think um, you know if I think back when I was a child and and what I was taught at school in in RI we used to call it religious instruction which I don't think kids have now but we had it and um, even if I didn't appreciate at the time that that knowledge that understanding of of the Bible and and um, has just served me very well and and, and enabled me to you know I hope you know understand how to live a 
better life, a bit better than without if you don't have it. So it is, it, it's a great thing. We should encourage that. And look, there are a lot, and I meet them all the time, Neil, and they may not be apparent, but I, you know, where I, in my, my job is running a research centre and, and um, doing a weekly TV show, I meet lots of people in public life, in business, in politics all the time. And whenever you, you get on to questions of faith, it is amazing how many good people there are in public life who have a you know, who are driven by a commitment to Christ. It is really very surprising once you actually break through that barrier that you know makes it look as if nobody is. You you'd be amazed, and they have a big influence. Of course, I, I just think it's very important to have people of good of good faith um, uh, in in senior positions in 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 polit- not only in politics but in the public service, certainly in business. Uh, and, and other areas because they can have a big influence, a big effect, it, just by living, living out um, their, their faith in, in their works in those situations. Yes, it's all very well to talk about losing my religion if you're talking about politicians. Uh, you broaden that and include us all in the whole issue of where our faith uh, the rubber hits the road. Uh, not just being an armchair critic or a, a bystander, like a, an observer at a sporting match, uh, but there's a certain sense of rolling up your sleeves and getting involved. It's outworking your faith wherever you might be in your workplace and in your community. And uh, that that actually does uh, uh, hang over into uh, politicians and the way that they're serving the nation. There's a sense, isn't there, that... Uh, that ordinary Christians need to be involved and somehow or other uh, Christians feel like they maybe are on the sideline and feeling a little bit disempowered when they hear some of the negative things that we'll often talk about. But what's your encouragement for actually Christians getting involved, Nick? Well, you, there don't have to be many of you to make a big influence, funnily enough, because I'll give you an example of that. So some of you, may be, some of you listeners may be familiar with the Lachlan Macquarie Institute. Uh, which is was set up, established by by uh, uh, Jim Wallace um, as a uh, from the Australian Christian Lobby that that actually runs uh, courses to train young people who are interested in going to public life into politics or whatever capacity, and they've been doing that for um, I should know how many years, but I don't, but quite a while now, uh, and, to, and so you know people go along who, who, with a Christian faith and they they want to. I want to know how that faith works out in the workplace, and they go along. And they spend three three uh, months or so, I think, or so at that. Now, whenever I go around Parliament House in Canberra, I'll almost always come across somebody who's been through that process, and and they're, so they're working in ministers' offices or politics or or whatever, and. Um, they they can have a tremendous influence because it only takes one person. We've got a meeting of say a dozen people in the ministerial office, and everybody's saying let's do X, and one person says, "So oh, I don't know that that's the right thing to do," and they they can make a good strong argument based on values. That can win the argument. That can win the room over. We just need people with the courage to let their life light shine in in the right places, and that's why I think we shouldn't despair and think well, there's so few of us, uh, you can make a big difference if, you know, with, with uh, particularly, you know, if you're empowered by God, you can, you can make a huge difference, right? So we know that. So uh, that's, that's what I'm arguing for, for people not to give up on, on politis- politics just because it's such a horrible business. In fact, it's probably because it's such a horrible business 
that Christians uh, should not give up on it because they can get in and actually make it a better business. Well, Nick, we are running out of time. Uh, let me ask you, uh, listeners can find your columns in the Australian newspaper. You're a weekly columnist. Uh, you have also mm. hosting a show now on uh, the ADH-TV called Battlegrounds. What sort of topics do you talk about? Uh, well, we talk about everything in, in uh, policy terms and often from a values perspective. So we've got one coming up, for instance, which is an interview with uh, Dr. Stephen Javura, who some people might know uh, about this very question, the issues we've been talking about today, the decline in religion and what, what that matters. Uh, ADH is, a, some of your viewers, your listeners may know it, but it's a new network that's just started up very recently. It's it's entirely online. It's not, um, and it's, it uh, hosts uh, Alan Jones, is the, the uh, does the main show there, Monday to Friday from uh, 8 till 9. And, and I do the Friday slot, and Fred Paul does 9 to 10. So it's, 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 it's just started. I think it's going to be a big, big, uh, big thing. And you can, you can get it by either by going online to ADH.TV or you can download the app. They've got an, a, a smart app which you can go on your smart TV or your phone. So it's just like watching you know, Netflix or ABC, ABC Ivy or whatever, you watch it that way. And I, it's got a huge audience in a very short space of time. And I see it as a great opportunity for us at the Mendes Research Centre to, to have a deeper conversation, which will include talking about, um, you know, the, the issues we've been discussing today, Neil. Well, Nick Cater is Executive Director at the Menzies Research Centre, columnist for The Australian, hosts that TV show Battlegrounds on ADH-TV. You can connect with Nick at menziesrc.org, menziesrc.org online, and uh, check out those articles in The Australian newspaper. You even wrote a book back in 2013. Have you written one since then? Uh, you wrote no, The Lucky, the lucky okay. Culture. Yeah, I, I should. I've been, I, I have a second one to write. I just haven't had a spare minute to work on it. But yeah, there, is, there will be one eventually when I get, get some spare time to sit down and write it. Yeah, fabulous stuff, uh, Nick Cater. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing your insights with us today on Twenty Twenty. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you do and your station does. It's uh, it, it's a real, really, uh, it's a blessing. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.